1: Where is God in the midst of natural disasters? And then, how do marriages change over time? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy birthday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a beautiful fall afternoon. Hope that you're enjoying your day. If you've missed any of our shows this week, including the time we were able to spend with David French the other day, just go get the podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, That really does help us out a bunch. You can also find us at 1160hope.com. All right, Aubrey, I want to talk about the hurricane. Have you been watching footage of Hurricane Ian uh, as it came came ashore. I
2: love that it's Hurricane Ian. uh, Okay, I don't mean to make light of a hurricane, so I shouldn't have probably said that joke, but I just, you know, Ian Simpkins being your old co-host, that's why that is that only that part is funny to me. A hurricane in general is not no, if only, been,
1: this is one of the first times I can say this. <laughs> if only he were still doing the show, it would be fun. Oh,
2: That actually would be good. No, I have been keeping an eye on it because I love Florida, you know, like my places and my people are in Florida. And so I am, you know, watching updates as they're coming in. And I know I've got friends in that area that have been bracing for the past few days for this thing. So, you know, it's always it's always devastating thinking about a category for hurricane. Yeah. And, uh,
1: Period, just crazy. You know, it's just awful. It is. And uh, some of the pictures
2: we have seen so far are, you know, and this is, you know, we don't know everything yet.
1: But what we've seen is like the storm surge is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So can I ask a random question about I thought about this yesterday as I was watching the Today Show and they were talking only about the hurricane and then today. Yeah. So they they strongly, strongly urge everybody to leave. Right. You're right. Right. Why are the weathermen allowed to stand by the ocean?
2: I feel like it's their, they're like taking one for the team. Like it's almost like, like, almost like other news reporters that like roll into like war zones. Yeah. Like I, I think it's the rush for them. I think they want probably some, some award for doing it. I guess I'm, I'm,
1: I'm less asking why they would do it. Yeah. And more, why are they allowed to do it?
2: Oh, hey, because we're asking everybody yeah. to
1: leave, but you know who's going to stay? Al Roker. <laughs> 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 like it's it's a it's a weird concept. Is it ever weird to you where they're like? And I know they've got bunkers, I'm sure, and they're safe. And all they do is yeah. go out, but they're standing there trying to stand you know, up. And things up are in, whipping I by. grew up
2: in Oklahoma, where literally the new there was a whole new segment called the Storm Chasers, oh, and these sure. guys literally—I mean, some of them have lost their lives but yes. full-on go chase the tornadoes. And so for me, I'm kind of like, yeah, sure, you want to stand in a storm? Fine, but then I why does everyone do else it? have to leave? Right. Well, I don't. Maybe they're they're again. They're like. They're like the first responders or whatever. They're brave. They're it's, brave
1: people. I don't know that brave's the word. It seems weird to me. You can have a green screen and have pictures behind you.
2: It maybe if you're like a, if you're like a weather person, this is like your this is like your Super Bowl. You're like finally I, so. I get the, finally I get the picture of me standing on the ocean with the storm
1: coming through I guess. I've ever told you it has to be a fake name, but growing up on uh, the new, I think he's now on Good Morning America, but on the New York um, local ABC station. Do you want to know what the weatherman's name was? Stormfield. <gasps>
2: Shut up! That's <laughs> yes. awesome. Are you serious? See yes. some people. I want to pretend that's not a fake name because I feel like some people are just born to like be Perfect in certain name. industries. And uh, that and guy is. When
1: I was little, do you know who the local NBC affiliate um, guy was for for New Jersey? For New York City, yeah. Who? Who? Uh, Roker.
2: Oh, good old Al Roker. Good old Al Roker before he
1: became Today Show famous Al Roker. All right, serious question for you. We ponder the hurricane. We think about it. Uh, It's hurricane season. There's going to be more coming through. You're from Oklahoma. You had to deal with, uh, you know, uh, twisters with tornadoes. Twisters, We did, actually.
2: I shouldn't make light of that. We really did. You're
1: having a good time with uh, with, uh, natural disasters today. (laughs) You know, you think about the West Coast and earthquakes, all of these things. Here's the question. Why are they present? Where oh. is God in the midst of natural disasters? How do we theologically oh, wrestle with um natural disasters? I
2: mean, it's like the one of the hardest questions out there, right? Like any any theodicy based question which is sort of like God and the problem of evil is just like I don't know question mark. Um I here's what thinkers have posited. One that natural disasters are part of the brokenness in the world. So mm-hmm. when people talk about sin, we tend to, especially in the American West, we tend to think about sin only individuals. I've done something wrong. I've sinned before God. but what what scholars and others thoughtful people will um have posited is that sin's tentacles are farther reaching than that, meaning they've even impacted the earth itself, which mm-hmm. is why it's such good news. Then in Revelation 21, we're told when Jesus returns, it's a new creation, new earth. Like no more death, no more sorrow, no more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, you know? Now, the interesting thing is total opposite side. There are people who say this is part of God's sovereign judgment for sin. And that actually somehow this helps the ecology, like in God's sovereign system. I've heard Mm. that posited recently. So there are different points of view is what I'm saying. And, And I think that can be helpful to know, look, academics, theologians, students of science, researchers have wondered and pondered this for a very long time, and not everyone has come to the conclusion. I land on this is part of the brokenness in the world, and God is not distant from it. God is not surprised by it. And somehow God is in the midst of it doing what only he can do, which is drawing near to those who are suffering. And I know that's a hard thing to hold at once. Like, you're sort of holding evil evil's evil the power of death alongside god's goodness but that's sort of the call of the faith is like let's acknowledge there's some heavy hard stuff in this world including natural disasters that don't make sense and also god is good and god is doing something even in it and one day god will have the final victory but i what i i don't tend to land on those who say God is doing this because of his sovereign judgment over sin because I think, well, what was a cross for? Like, no, like Mm. sin, the penalty for sin was paid. And so I have a hard time with people. I mean, people said this about COVID, too, that this was God enacting judgment, enacting judgment, enacting judgment. That does not sit well with me theologically.
1: I agree with that. I think we undersell the brokenness of this world mm-hmm. and the effects of sin globally and yeah. um whether it be hurricanes uh tornadoes pandemics um but especially if you live in Fort Myers if you live in you know Oklahoma mm-hmm. as a tornado is ripping through if you've been adversely affected by the pandemic it's not a um just an academic problem of evil. That's discussion a right po- That's a good point, Brian. At all. So, how do point. people get through that? How would you get through that in the midst of whatever <laughs> it would be? Well,
2: I wrote a little. I wrote a little book on this <laughs> uh, called "The Louder Song." Someday I'm going to be able
1: to say, I'm gonna be like, "I am I colored a book about this." <laughs> uh,
2: listening for hope in the midst of laments. and I actually do think that's it. Like when people ask, "Where is God in the hurricane?" Um, the answer is, God's right there. God's near and also like where are God's people in the hurricane? Like the answer is also us as the church drawing near to those who are suffering, Mm. drawing near with best practices. Like don't be in, don't run into situations like that and be a cowboy, like partner with, you know, organizations that are practicing best practices for relief and that kind of thing. But do the work you need to do to partner and support people, pray for people, lament with people. And then if you're in the middle of that, you do, have the right you are invited you are welcomed before god to say i don't understand this god like i am crying out to you from pain and despair how could you let this happen and i i just think the beauty of that what people don't realize is like god meets us in our pain and suffering in ways that are mysterious and beyond measure and and his goodness is somehow there in the midst of really, really hard things, including natural disasters.
1: That's right. That's right. And so it's very real. The problem of evil is very real. And the last thing we always talk about here, I would remind people, is eternity. Mm. Like you said earlier, when there will be no more... Um, hurricanes, there will be no more pandemics yeah. or natural disasters, yeah. so thinking about people down in the Gulf Coast of Florida in particular yesterday and today uh just a lot to deal with down there as Hurricane Ian uh ravages that part all right, Aubrey, there's a celebrity marriage that has been in the news, and I 'll talk less about that as much as I read something interesting uh a marriage expert giving some advice
2: ooh okay.
1: And I want to see if you think this is good advice or not. We're going to look at that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Aubrey. Are you going for tacos tonight? You Thursdays, your family, uh, don't you go for tacos? We
2: do. We go for dollar tacos. And uh, you know what? I wasn't thinking about it, Brian, because n- normally, you know, th- Thursday evening comes a little quick. But maybe I will. Maybe we will do that. i might okay. text my family right now and say that.
1: So a definite maybe. A
2: definite maybe. That sounds fun, doesn't you're, it? That's you're
1: exciting. Declaring your like landing on tacos me. tonight
2: with my family. What are you
1: gonna do? <laughs> what are you having for dinner tonight? Maybe tacos. <laughs>
2: maybe we'll go out to our favorite restaurant. Maybe not. You'll see.
1: Mom, are we getting tacos tonight? possibly
2: well think about it (laughs)
1: possibly but we are uh...
2: speaking of hold on i got i know you got to move on to something more important but my son every morning my youngest he's 10 years old the kid loves to eat it's like he's just had breakfast we're walking to the school bus and he'll be like mom what's for dinner tonight (laughs) come home from school mom what's for dinner tonight? like i don't know i don't know yet okay i don't know we'll figure it out Uh, I'm like, why are you asking? He's like, I don't know. I'm hungry. I like to think about what's coming for dinner. Yeah.
1: I have learned now my house, like many homes, probably like your home. Uh, the burden of dinner tends to fall on the wife's plate. No pun intended. There, shocking. Uh, I have learned there are certain days when I ask my wife, what's for dinner tonight, that that was the wrong question to ask. <laughs> I can tell it within the first two seconds of the question coming out of my mouth. Hey, what what are you planning for dinner tonight? I don't know. What are you planning? <laughs> it's not the way
2: this marriage works. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin learned that pretty early, and he started coming home, and he'll go, hey, just curious. <laughs> He's just so
0: curious. careful. <laughs> he'll go, hey,
2: just curious. Is there a plan for dinner? Or not. Like, that's how he says it now. Even that, though, I'm like, what do you mean is they're plan for dinner? Why do I have to go with a plan for dinner?
1: What if I tell you not? What are you going to do? I'll go grill something. So,
2: oh, man. Good times. Speaking, speaking of, of marriage. marriages.
1: All right. So a really weird article at Fox News I was reading about. I don't want to talk necessarily about this celebrity marriage. It's the one of Tom Brady and Giselle Boonchin. How do you say that name? Boonchin? Did uh,
2: I get that right?
1: Uh, I think I got it right.
2: Boonchin? Boonchin. Boonchin.
1: A uh, a world-famous uh, supermodel. Yes. So they've been married for 13 years. They're and like the most beautiful couple Yeah, they have two kids around. and a stepchild, and uh, there seems to be some trouble in paradise. Now, they're pretty private, so nobody knows quite what's going on, but there are clearly issues going on. Yeah. It could have to do with him coming back from retirement to play, other things. There's, it depends on the report that you read. Yeah. I was off air telling you that like, yeah, these articles are so like kind of dirty and this and that, like kind of guessing about this. And then I said to you, but I click on them, (laughs) (laughs) but I read them. (laughs) So this particular article is talking about uh, it's a relationship expert talking about their marriage and can they get through this? In reality, this relationship expert knows nothing of their marriage. So why do I want to talk about this one particular line? Are you ready? Yes. So. She said that they could be frustrated with each other, but the couple needs, quote, open communication to survive this match. Uh, and she went on to say open communication and a new set of expectations will be essential for them moving forward. OK, or resentment may kick in, particularly for her. OK, so two phrases that I found interesting. As marriages move on, because you and I as pastors and we're both, you know, married, I've been married 22 years, you've been married 21 years. Yep. Uh, so we counsel people in marriages. Yep. but We also want to remain married to our spouses Absolutely. and happily married. Absolutely. So this relationship expert is kind of positing that after time, you need two things. Open communication. And a new set of expectations.
2: Yeah, sure.
1: Tell me, what does she mean by those? And you seem to agree. So tell me why you agree with them. I'm
2: going to come back to open communication because that seems really obvious and important. This new set of expectations, I I think that's something that um, Kevin and I are even realizing now that we're in our 21st year of marriage, our kids are in a different season. It's almost like every season you kind of need to stop and go, Hey, like where are we? What are we what are we moving towards as a couple? What are we what are our expectations for one another for our marriage in the next five years? I'm not saying you have to make a decision that's like for the next forty years, but I, I feel like we're in this season right now where we're like, okay, look, we've got a kid who's a couple years away from college, our others are getting older. Careers are changing. We're in a different season. Let's stop and go. What do we want the next five years to look like? What what do we, you know, we're starting midlife. You're starting to have kind of legacy conversations. What do we want to, the thing that we've invested in really to be so we can look back and be like, yeah, I, that's what I wanted to do. And I think that's, and then set expectations. Like this means I have your blessing spouse to X, Y, Z for Kevin. He wants to to go back to school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This means I have your blessing spouse to fulfill this dream and you're just every few years of your marriage, every new season, you're kind of stopping and really evaluating because things do change. And if you just make assumptions, um, one, that could cause conflict and two, you won't be intentional. So that's I think that's the piece about it. So expectations. let's stay there for a second. OK,
1: do you and Kevin actually uh, intentionally have that conversation or is it like, hey, we we together but also alone just need to consistently be reevaluating what are my expectations here? How are they different from your one mm-hmm. of marriage, your ten of marriage, little kids, older kids? Yeah. Or do you guys actually sit down and go, hey, what do we want our next five years to look like?
2: Yeah. I mean both and like some of it is just constant sort of negotiation that you're doing in marriage, especially with, you know, two partners who have a uh, pretty busy work schedules mm-hmm. and three teenagers that are going different directions but then we do evaluate and it's we don't go oh it's the five-year anniversary of the last time we evaluated <laughs> yes, Let's stop and yes. do this. but i would say every anniversary we stop and do that oh. and then um and then we what we will notice and we're in the season right now we'll notice like there's some tension there some yes. tensions happening something's up And so we'll kind of just be like, hey, I think it's time for us to maybe have a sit down and like we'll call them a meta conversation, like a conversation about the things we need to talk about. And often it's this we're actually in this right now. What do we want the next five years to look like? Where are we headed? Um, And so, yes, intentionality, but not calendared Mm -hmm, intentionality. mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I
1: would encourage people out there when it comes to expectations like the expectations of newlyweds the expectation of that honeymoon period are different than when you've got newborns in the house. And I mean, expectations of each other um, time spent, what's your free time going to look like or whatever else. And then like as you near, when your kids are older, more self-sufficient, uh, th- may- I don't think we ever think of this. I think this is where marriages get in trouble. We think it's always going to be the same. Yeah,
0: totally. totally. We think we're
1: always thinking the same. <laughs> well, I want, I'm expecting this from Carrie. Yeah. Of course she's expecting the same, or she's at least expecting that mm-hmm. she, that will be part, you know, whatever else mm-hmm. it might be. So how about open communication?
2: I mean, this to me, I think communication, mm-hmm. like just, I don't even, I don't totally understand what open communication is, but consistent communication um, that is, we've talked about this on the show before, the way you have communication matters as much as what you're talking that's about. That's right. That's right. And so maybe that's what open communication is, but where you're not being, you're not villainizing the other person. If there's a conflict, you're not holding grudges, you're keeping short accounts, you're being intentional to be kind and respectful. And I think like something Kevin and I are kind of recently learning in our marriage when we have conflict is. It's not always, in fact, it's usually never. Now, I, there are big offenses in marriage, so I'm not saying, yep. I'm talking outside of. And you're talking your own experience. Yes. But what I'm saying is, sometimes conflicts for us, it's like, neither, it's not like one person's right and one person's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's that we're both just coming to the table with totally different yeah. experiences, point of views, expectations. And so to have a communication that goes, oh, this is. How you're thinking about this. this, is how I'm thinking about this. This is why we're you know, rubbing up against each other not in a great way. Right. That that piece is, I think, so effective in keeping a friendship, keeping fun yeah. and keeping um, just health. There's those marriage, times where you, you
1: there's those times where there's tension in your marriage and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know what we're fighting about. <laughs> I don't even, <laughs> totally. know, what I don't even know. I actually don't even know that we're fighting. And it just seems, Ted, that's where there needs to be this open communication. There needs to be expectations that are on board with each other. So, you know, on the one hand, we hope the best for Tom Brady and Giselle Munchen. But uh, I I do wanted to have just a bigger marriage conversation there. Open communication, talking about expectations. We want to cheer on long-term, healthy marriages uh, to the glory of God. So hopefully that helps. Coming up next, Aubrey, we're both pastors. Boom. Uh, I would like to have a conversation with you about longevity. Ooh. And when do you know you've been at a church for too long?
2: Interesting. Let's discuss that next year on on. The
1: Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. Aubrey, what is it that we always tell people we are on the show? (gasps) We're pastors. We are pastors. (sighs) We are pastors. We like to say our day jobs are that yeah. we are pastors. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in uh, Darien, just south of Downers Grove. You are at uh, Renewal, Renewal
2: Church <laughs> in West Chicago. You
1: say? Renewal, R- Renewal. In West Chicago. Yep. And so uh, we are both pastors. Your husband is a pastor. And, you know, so we think a lot about the church. And that kind mm-hmm. of sprinkles into what we talk about on the show here. We like to say we take things from a pastoral perspective. And so... Aubrey, I think there's something that all of us pastors think about, especially, say, you and your husband, yeah. and then also myself. What's unique about our positions is we've started our churches. like yes. We began these churches. Very unique. And so uh, there's always this question, and this is going to be a difficult conversation for us to have without being too personal. <laughs> so I am not asking this question <laughs> because I'm thinking of leaving my church or because you've told me you're thinking right, of leaving the right, church. This right. is not like some oh, we're hiding some big news here on the This is not it. It's just something that pastors talk about. Yeah. And it's something that all of us think about. So let me ask you the question. Okay. How do you have longevity at a church? Mm. And does there come a point when, you, when you've been there too long? Mm. And how do you know?
2: I feel like I want you to start. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> this okay. is hard. I mean, Okay, I would that was kind of a joke but also kind of true. I start. Okay, start cuz the long the longevity part Anyway,
1: so, you go you go. So here's the difficulty. Uh most service so there's a great survey that came out that said, I will never forget reading this that a pastors, they are talking like lead pastor in charge, main speaker, all of this yeah. stuff, kind of face of the church. Uh a lead pastor's sweet spot for influence is between year 6 and 10.
2: Come on. Mm-mm.
1: So, so I've been at my church twelve years, I was say, twelve and so a half. So you're past that. I'm We're past that. we
2: are right in the middle of that.
1: Yeah, six to ten. Whew. And I remember thinking that through. Now it could be coincidence. Yeah. But when I look back to when I think there was the most mm. momentum at my church and the most stuff it's in that range. Wow. Uh, now other things played into it, COVID and other things. Sure. But um so I've always got that in the back of my mind. How do you know when you've been there too long? I think there's a I think there's a couple flags to look for let's hear them the one is on the personal side let me be really blunt about this if you're a pastor and you're like i don't really like my church anymore i'm tired yeah i feel beat down it feels adversarial yeah that's a bad sign you've probably been there too long totally on the flip side i do think there comes a point where and i have felt this in seasons yeah but i think if you regularly regularly felt as if people were tuning tuning you out Whether from the front, like when you're just like, they're not like,
2: like you're becoming irrelevant. I hate that term because that sounds so not irrelevant,
1: except more like, so sometimes in sports. There will be a really good uh, coach uh, team dynamic, you know, a basketball coach, right? And a team. Yeah. And eventually it just wears out and and that coach ends up losing their job, not because they're a bad coach, but you'll literally hear them say things like, uh, the team needs a new voice. And it's that new voice. I've thought of this as a pastor sometimes. Does there come a point? Where your congregation doesn't dislike you. Right. Doesn't, you're not preaching heresy. Right. All this stuff.
2: It's just like a new season or something. Or they've
1: just heard you so much that your voice. Yeah. Sometimes my my kids need to hear something from somebody else that I've been saying to them for a long time. Amen. But they're not hearing from me because I'm their dad. So I do think they're, or when you're not even just preaching vision or just whatever else it might be. And you're like. They're not hearing me. Yeah, I think. And that's very subjective. I do think there's some ways around this, but I think those are some big flags. So what do you think? Where am I right? Or where? what am I, What do we miss?
2: I think you're definitely right about that adversarial piece mm-hmm. of it. I think that shows a lot of unhealth in the the leadership. And I think if if that's not a sign it's time to go, it is definitely a sign that it's time for like Sabbath counseling. Mm-hmm. Get some help. Right. And then maybe decide to go. I think. Uh, there's no, I mean, yes, 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 yes. You're right about that one. I think that the other one is tricky to me about the um your your. It's just like a new season. It's time for because I do think there's a piece where that baton pass is so important in leadership. We saw Rick Warren just do that one with Andy Wood, and I, I think that is such a beautiful, beautiful um way of leadership, and it's almost like you can do that and still stick around by like, I'm just thinking of the pulpit, for example, you build a teaching team, yeah, right? So you're still sort of their emeritus, uh, but you're maybe not the main voice anymore. Because the reason I'm saying this is because what I don't want people anyone to hear and i don't think in our culture we should keep doing this is like just because you i don't think anyone should age out of ministry like in fact the older seasoned pastors tend to be the one with a lot of wisdom and steadiness that the rest of us need right yeah so you wouldn't want to just totally be like you're irrelevant you can't that's not what you're saying at all but in general culturally we don't want to be like this person's irrelevant they've hit a certain age we can't hear from them anymore so there has to be a way to transition leadership So that seasoned voice is still very influential in the church, but they're now passing the baton to the next generation, which I think is just as important. That's right. You know, we saw that with Paul and Timothy, right? Um,
1: I think I've got this fear. So well, some of this is coming from personal just I love my church. You love your church. But I think we all go through these like I know a good number of pastors and churches. Yeah where there those churches used to be i'm going to use air quotes here rocking and rolling like they were moving Mm -hmm. and they're not anymore yeah and when people are honest they will always say this has happened i don't know if you've heard this i've heard this so many times in my life they will say the pastor stayed too long
2: interesting
1: i've heard of one church where the pastor was there for 40 years interesting and the people were like in an honest moment Probably a decade too long. Interesting. <laughs> I once told a good friend of mine at our church, I said, I need you to be the one who's honest with me. Yeah. If I'm ever the problem, if I'm ever tell that me. guy, let me know. Please, please tell me. How so, do you
2: know, though? Like w- 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 not you healthy? think you'll
1: just know?
2: I don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like I would need, a, like you're saying, that person in your life who's like, hey, OBS, yeah. your time has come. You've served well, but like you, you got to retire. And now. where it's
1: interesting, you and your husband are like both pastors there. Mm-hmm. What if one of you's feeling it and the other is not?
2: <laughs> or what if other people are? What if people are like, Kevin? We really want you to stay, but Aubrey should go and get
1: out of here. Exactly. You know, that's exactly. Oh, so yeah. So I remember hearing. I do remember hearing Rick Warren speak on this, and it obviously his context was a bit different, right? Absolutely. But Rick Warren spoke of basically replanting his church every year in his mind. So okay. this kind no. of like, we're going to do a new campaign. We're going to do a new this. It was almost like I'm not going to allow myself to get into a rut or in the church to get into a rut. Yeah. Where we all look around going, man, we've been doing the same thing hearing yeah. the same messages here this for the yeah. last 15 years. His way to fight against this. And he, what did he just do? How many year, decades did he just mm-hmm. do a Saddleback? His thing was, we're going to keep reinventing this thing. Yeah. So it never feels like it's old. And that could be possible or not possible. But I do think churches and elder boards and leadership pastors and everybody just needs to be more honest about this conversation yeah, because pastors are scared it's a job, right? Like I got a paycheck, but also churches go, well, what's the old saying? A bird in the hand is better than. Well, I don't a, even know.
2: A, a, <laughs> in the what's bush? the rest of that saying? <laughs> a
0: There's fly something in, the bush. in the tree?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I do think there needs to be honest conversations yeah, on both ends. really just going. interesting,
2: Brian. It's an interesting conversation.
1: Yeah, and and I don't thankfully neither you or I are at it at this point, but it's coming. I'm and, sure. And
2: I guess ultimately the church's welfare and and livelihood and, and thriving needs to be more important than the pastor sort of like having their position. And I think all of us That's in right. church leadership just need to be aware of that. Like yes, they, a good leader says, this is not about me. And even in retirement transition, whatever recognizes it's about what God is doing. And, and that doesn't mean you're no longer qualified for ministry. Just might mean your season's up. Yeah. Interesting. Go. Interesting
1: things we wrestle with one of these days we're going to have a start the show going it i figured it out i've been there too long <laughs> The <time has> come. <laughs> all right i have two super strange stories for you okay i'm going to give them both to you next and i would like to just hear your response okay can't wait that here on the common good aim 1160 hope for your life <laughs> Welcome back to The Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. All right, Aubrey, I told you I've got two really strange stories for you, all right? I'm going to start with number two. Okay. I just want your reaction. Just would like to hear what you have to think. I'm ready. This story, uh, I read this at Barstool, uh, simply says this. McDonald's is changing the game yet again after announcing they will be selling adult Happy Meals that come with nostalgic toys.
2: Stop it. Are you kidding me? This Uh, is awesome.
1: Okay. Why is this awesome? I am
2: for this. I don't know. I guess nostalgia is the reason that's really awesome. Because if I think about it, I actually don't want like a Big Mac and chicken nuggets with fries. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. That sounds disgusting to me. But something about the nostalgic toys and having my own kid, childlike box m- makes me like, I'm in. I'm so in. I'm so ready for this. I can't wait for what the toys are. I hope they're Marvel themed or Disney themed.
1: No, well, they're going to be nostalgic. It's going to be like so the hamburger. does that mean like old
2: school when we were little?
1: It's going to be like the hamburger. Do you
2: remember? Okay, I loved these toys at McDonald's. They were like little chicken nuggets and you put outfits on them. If they have those again, I'm going to be there every single day.
1: So it says, I don't be-
2: need a hamburger toy in my Beginning life. Beginning
1: October 3rd, customers can order a cactus plant flea market box, which is a Big Mac or a 10 piece chicken nugget Why with fries it and cactus a drink.
0: Plant- I have no
1: idea. Okay. But uh, that is what it is. And so it's the new adult Happy Meal with the toys that you got as a kid. No way. Toys include redesigned takes on McDonald's famous mascots, including Grimace, Hamburglar, and Birdie, plus a new one named cactus buddy
2: oh that's why it's the cactus okay
1: so will you go there and order a happy meal
2: no because to be honest i we don't actually need more toys in our house like i like (laughs) the concept but i don't need more plastic like
1: junk when my children were young and we'd go to mcdonald's probably more than i'd like to admit because of the playland yeah uh we would often Purposely leave the toy, like yeah. just try to get yeah. it to stay there. So I,
2: I like this idea. I think it's actually very cute and clever. I won't be, I'm not going to be rushing McDonald's for this.
1: One more uh, happy meal as your kids were little story. Yep. Because, you know, you'd have to drive through a lot. McDonald's yep. was like the prime spot when it your was. kid is and two, three, four. Oh, yeah, kids yeah, are like, yeah, yeah
0: McDonald's!
1: Uh, well, I forget which child this was with, but we were removing the. Um, uh, we were removing the car seat
2: yes and oh and like a million french fries
1: there was a barely eaten cheeseburger <laughs> underneath the, the car, car seat, seat.
2: yeah there, that's i feel like a lot of parents have that story like there's definitely mcdonald's food in everyone's fries, car and the yeah. fries
1: they they uh <laughs> they just reproduce each uh, yeah, themselves they underneath do. there but yes no there was and almost entire cheeseburger—that's disgusting. Actually, that's really, really <laughs> gross. And
2: it, the the crazy part about McDonald's food, like it probably didn't go bad. Like you probably could have still eaten <gasps> because of all of your it's, it's so disgusting. Okay, I did see at Barstools at Barstoolsports.com. They have a picture of the little chicken McNuggets with the little outfits on, and I—that could get me in the drive-through. I would go okay. back for
1: those things. They, right.
2: they're like little baby nuggets and like you put like a little police hat on them or a little like exercise.
1: I think I'm gonna creep outfit. you out with story number two. First story okay. was fun,
2: yeah, that was fun.
1: Story number two Let's this it. is from NBC News. I've always wanted to be a tree. Human composting starts to catch on. no, no, no. California Governor no. Gavin Newsom this month signed a bill that requires state regulators to create a program allowing quote. Natural organic reduction by 2027. Would you like me to read you some of these details?
2: I don't know if I can handle it, honestly.
1: No need for an urn or a casket. California will soon offer a new option to be laid to rest in a steel vessel surrounded by wood chips and destined to become compost that could fertilize new life. The process, which is essentially the controlled decomposition of a human body by a funeral service provider, takes about two months processing a person's remains creates one to two cubic yards of compost enough to nearly fill the bed of a pickup truck, which can then be used in gardens or conservation products. The California law is the latest example of how human composting is gaining political momentum and prompting some people to rethink customs surrounding death and the environmental impact of what could be their final decision on Earth. Later on, they quote a lady who said, I always wanted to be a tree. The idea of (laughs) having my family sitting under my shade one day, that brings a lot of joy. Aubrey Sampson, what think you about human composting?
2: The only thing I can think of is Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean this is like this is what sociopaths and murderers do. They put the body in acid and they and it decomposes and then they bury it. Like this is this no. No 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 no. I'm okay with if you need to scatter ashes around the family tree and then you're sitting that I can get comfortable with growing a garden from human remains is repulsive and like you reading that is giving me a gag reflex i can't wrap my mind around it i'm pro environment i cannot wrap my mind around this this is disgusting to me
1: so the seattle-based company called recompose Mm-mm. they said they've already signed up about 1200 people okay. to pre-arrange future death care through the company
2: i can't handle this there's pictures brian
1: yeah, the pictures are a little. I don't I want mean, to see these just, pictures. It, well, the pictures just look like wood chips, to be honest with you.
2: But they're human wood chips, human chips.
1: Com- they're, no, <laughs> they're kind of combined. They're kind of all together.
2: <laughs> no, no, can't you, picture- you find like an eyelash you- and a hair in there? Uh-uh. Can't
1: you picture Fingernail? though? Fingernail? Can't you picture one day your family? They're they're mourning you. Mm-hmm. They're they're sitting around. They're going. You know what? We really miss. We really miss mom. Right. We really miss mom. But thankfully, <laughs> mom has helped provide these great vegetables of which we are now <laughs> having a salad. We're
2: eating them now. will remember uh-uh. her. Nope, nope, nope. That, you don't like that? Absolutely not. You know what? This is kind of morbid. I have a very good friend who is is um, pondering her death. And she wants to be made into game dice. So like her family and friends always... <laughs> can play games with her. She wants to be made into game <laughs> night. Nice. She's like, you can wear me around your neck and pull me out for game night. And I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. I can't get behind eating tomatoes from my husband's remains. Absolutely not. No. No and no. Emphatically no. No, no, no. Maybe this
1: will win you over. Ready? Okay. Once the process is complete, Recompose <laughs> offers to transport the composted remains to a nonprofit forest for conservation products. Many families take it all home. One family started an orchard on a hillside. Another family brought the soil to their neighborhood and asked neighbors to bring buckets. This person's soil nourished gardens around the neighborhood. Still no?
2: Human remains. Like, you can't have a garden.
1: Look at that beautiful garden over there provided by Grandma. But
2: are they eating the food? Sure. Are they. They're sniffing the flowers. Sure. Uh uh. No, 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 no. No. This
1: It gives you know, right now we dedicate trees to grandma. We we (laughs) uh we dedicate a garden in their memory. Now they can literally be part of the garden. (laughs) They can literally nourish the tree. Uh uh no. No, you're no good with this? I
2: can't I cannot wrap my mind around this. There's I can understand most points of view on a lot of things. (laughs) I this rings too true of Jeffrey Dahmer and, and Dexter from Dexter. Or you could ask your husband
1: can't. what he thinks of this okay. and see if you can put he's it a in nature. Your will.
2: Guy, he'd probably be like, "Yeah, take me to Colorado."
1: No, he's got to be part of a garden. <laughs> he's to be part of the garden in the backyard that grows the next no. year's Christmas tree. No. That's
2: it. <laughs> That is it. We okay, found it. You found it. Christmas tree brought to what you by dad. What do you think dad, about this? this? Are you on board with this? No, yeah, okay. this
1: is super strange. You seem, you
2: seem way too c- composed <laughs> about this.
1: We look forward to our future common good gardens brought to you by our great listeners out there. Coming up next, a very important question that we wrestle with often. What is church? That's a more complicated question than you might guess. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.
2: What is church? And later, the gift of limits. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Thursday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian From So glad you're with us today. If you've missed any of this week's shows, especially the conversation that Brian, my co-host, got to have with David French at Wheaton College, I'm still very jealous about that. But it was an incredible conversation. It was a lot
1: of fun. And I told him that you're no longer with the show, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If you missed that and if you want to make me feel bad about myself, we'd love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast wherever it is you stream your podcast. And we love connecting with you on social media we are at Common Good Talk on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Brian, I don't know if you can tell. I can tell. I don't know if our listeners can tell. Because of the allergies in the air right now, my voice, I, I feel like I'm talking like a man today. So I feel like I have a great <laughs> I have a great radio voice today. It's so
1: low. <laughs> I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it.
2: Yep. Okay. Thank you. All right, Brian. Brian, uh, there's no way to transition really well from that to this. From your man voice? From my man voice to uh, a new church I read about. That is launching in California. Can I just read the description to you? This is going
1: to go badly. I can already tell. I'm
2: I'm not going to tell you the name of it. It's an organization. They're launching church Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. Special music by Gungor. I don't know if you remember them. They used to to make a lot of Christian music, have since kind of gone their own direction with the faith, which we can talk about.
1: One of the pioneers of deconstruction movement, I do believe.
2: Yep, that's right. Uh, they will be at this at this uh, service this church service every Sunday 10 a.m sharing songs from Gungar's new album which is a psychedelic gospel oh, album here we go no details are given about what's planned for the church except for this you ready for this mm-hmm. um, Sundays have been created to provide an interactive interactive experience where people can explore mind body spirit and plant medicine topics. I knew
1: it was coming. Yep.
2: There's something called the Ajna light. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it utilizes a pattern of flickering lights to trigger the natural release of DMT in our brains to stimulate a psychedelic experience. Okay. Ascension. This is the name. I, I wasn't going to say the name of the organization. That's it. Aims to bring heaven to earth with a variety of performances, activities, shopping experiences, It's a church reimagined. No pews, no pastors, but the chance to align your mind, body, and spirit. Is this the church? Right. This is not a church. Can we talk about this?
1: This is is problematic. This
2: is so problematic on so many levels. Let me read you something Beth Felker-Jones, she's a theologian and New Testament uh, professor, said. And I don't know that she was even responding to this. Okay, I just happened to see it on the same day I read about this quote-unquote church. She said if what a so-called church organization is offering bears no resemblance to historic global Christianity, walking away is walking towards Jesus. Mm. So let's unpack why this isn't a church and why this is problematic. I think it's obvious, but let's unpack it anyway and then take it to like, then what is church?
1: Okay. Uh, My first problem with this is, um, No pews, no pastor, no singing, but or there will be singing. No pews, no pastor, no this, no that. Right. Lots of drugs. Lots like of that's, drugs. That's yes, my first right. red flag right. here. Um, and anytime anyone, I'm not saying that churches don't need to be, in general, at times contextually reimagined or this that, totally. But when that's the banner of which you're living under, mm-hmm. we're going to reimagine church. Mm-hmm. I think it's a huge red flag. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I would say the biggest red flag for me in this would be the drugs I think, and the word psychedelic. I think the some drugs of that. there's is some a, key words here. It's
2: a problem. Yes, it's problematic. I wish they were saying Sunday morning gathering. Sunday morning drug, Sunday morning, <laughs> drug gonna, get together. Sunday morning we're all going to Sunday morning we're going to get stoned and watch you know watch Wizard of Oz while listening to Pink Floyd. Like I wish they would be that honest rather than saying church. Like yeah. th- this is not church. No. You know what I mean? This is a gathering of potheads essentially. It is the whole the overall organization is Christian Cannabis. So that's like the na- Christian Cannabis is putting on this church. Then I think, I mean...
1: What is the difference between Christian cannabis... And regular cannabis? As one who worked for Testaments, <laughs> in which the mint with a message had a cross on it... Yeah, you tell uh, me what's
2: the difference. Well
1: I, I'm asking you, what is... There's no place to put a cross on the cannabis. Where is... Mm -hmm. What makes something Christian Christian. cannabis? I do not know.
2: Yeah, well, maybe that they do it on Sundays. They smoke. (laughs) They smoke out on Sundays, or they take their edibles on Sundays. Maybe that's why.
1: What are we coming to? I I
2: think the hard part about this is. So yeah, we both kind of went. Oh, Michael Gunger, because he he was the kind of one of the starters of, uh, ex evangelicalism um but not in a way where he didn't deconstruct and then reconstruct right he deconstructed and then essentially i don't think he calls himself an atheist at anymore. all but uh definitely has gone outside of orthodoxy anyway you can see this here okay so this is obviously not church what is the church then like so i you know scholars forever have have right. they have talked about this then what makes a church a church
1: so that's interesting i i think uh, a church, ecclesia, right, is the gathering. It's mm-hmm. the gathered, the called out people. So I do think uh, a church, in our definition, is going to have worship of Jesus. Yes. So we were going to, as opposed to, hey, let's get together and watch football and on a Sunday out. and yeah. call church. Yeah. Uh, I do think that there is going to be the presence of the sacraments, yes. whether you do communion every week or you right. do it less often, right. baptism, whatever right. else. I do think. That's an important part of it. There are different ways to, uh, you know, the sermon looks different or the singing. But yeah. I do think there is there is uh, sitting under God's word, opening God's word. Yep. It's a community of people saying we're heading in that direction. We want to be changed by God. There is, you know, what the singing looks like. I know it looks different, but it feels like singing. Uh But that's that's how I would define a church. A church is a community of people, um, kind of on mission together to know Jesus and make Him known. Right? Yeah, love that. It's not a building. It's not an organization. So that's how I would define church. How do you define church? Yeah,
2: I mean, I I think you just nailed it. Like, I mean, there's lots of metaphors in Scripture: body, family, gathering. But the concept that we would like hang our hats on is that it's a group of people moving towards Jesus, right? Like looking more and more like Jesus, obviously Mm -hmm. and worshiping Jesus as the head of the church. And so I, I, you know, even though like an organization like this is quote unquote Christian cannabis and they're having a quote church, this isn't, this isn't church um, because Jesus is not at the center of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it just going back to what Beth Felker Jones said, this bears no resemblance to a historic church because historic church folks were not like, on drugs. Wow, <laughs> lighting. There's people
1: out there right now going, "Oh, just to open your Like that's not. It's just not. This is this is people. Also, I it bothers me, Aubrey, when people are like trying to redefine the church in ways they know are going to tick people off. I know.
2: I, I that's feel like so too. It here. feels performative. It feels annoying. If you to want me. to get together
1: and. Have your cannabis and your psychedelic sure, drugs and right. your singing and whatever. Okay, I, I would not partake and I have yeah. trouble with people who do. But, to, you know, I suppose on some level to each their own, just why the need to call it a church why the need is to the call problem it a for church.
2: me. Yeah, it feels like they're trying to fix some things they're angry about at church and using the same name. Just I I don't know. It, it, it feels performative. But anyway. All right. Well. Uh, we'll see. Maybe Brian will become a new pastor there when (laughs) he's done it for quarters. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the gift of limits. You're listening to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everybody. Welcome back to the common good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian from so glad that you are with us today. Brian, are you a person who, um, you know, I think there are some people who operate thinking, This is an exaggeration, but like they don't like limits on them and they don't like to admit they're limited. Like, are you that kind of guy? Are you more like, I'm good. I like Uh, my
1: limits. I, in fact, probably limit myself too much, but uh, I am not. I like having defined. Yeah. Roles isn't the right word, Uh but kind of I like definition that says, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're called to do. And whatever else. I'm not one of these. I'm gonna crash through everything I can yeah, do anything I can. Yeah. Probably to a fault sometimes. Like I probably have a little Interesting. Too little faith in like the ability to be like, oh, you know, let's bust through. Yeah. Nope. This is the way things are yeah. done. We're good. So how about you? Limitless? You crashing through barriers? Um
2: it, uh, sometimes both and like I tend to uh I tend to be very aware of like, oh, I'm tired, I need to rest, I need to say no, I need to But when I'm feeling good, I definitely try to tackle more than I probably should. And then I wouldn't ever be like, I'm limitless. But I sometimes I sort of operate as if I am and I have to stop and go, oh, wait, yeah, I have limits. That's probably not a good idea. And actually, it's not just I have limits, but I ought to have limits because that's healthier for the people around me. That's healthy for my family. That's good for my soul. Right. So Christine Gordon is over at uh, the Gospel Coalition writing about the gift of limits And she basically is talking about how, you know, we live in this world right now where we can constantly fill our time, whether that's extra work projects,
1: you
2: know, good things, volunteer opportunities, extracurricular extracurricular sports, things for our families, things for our kids. But then, of course, we can fill our schedules and just our like free time with our phones, Netflix, whatever. But what she says is like, we are finite creatures. We have limited energy and we only have 24 hours in a day. And so she's writing about uh, what the Bible actually says about our limits and how we should actually live in light of them.
1: It does feel like, before you get into this, it's just, I can't get over how many conferences that you hear about in the Christian world where it's like, no limits. Or like, (laughs) what's the name of this youth ministry? We are limitless. Are you going to, hey, on Wednesday, are you going to limitless and I'm not sure that's a good message for us to put out there, but I mean, probably a men's conference. It feels like a men's yeah, conference. Yeah, that is does the,
2: feel like, I can see where the t-shirt.
1: Got, they got those Christian uh, like, uh, bodybuilders who come yeah, out, and like, yeah. and that. And what's, hey, what are you going to do on Saturday morning? I'm going to No Limits. <laughs> Okay. Like it just is a all weird right, Christian thing cool. now that you brought this up. I'm I mean, just thinking about many. That's kind like of true. Can, can't you see the brochure in the mail yeah. or the email that you got? Like, yeah. oh, no limits. Okay. All right. I'm ready awesome. for this. That's so like, intriguing. Well, maybe that's not you good. You can like
2: see the t shirt with it, and it's like, I can do all things through Christ who gives <laughs> me strength, right? And it's like, yeah, that is funny. I wonder if this is a particular. Christian problem, or if this is like everywhere. That's really kind of funny. Okay. Sorry, that was a tangent. No, but I loved it. That was this great. Saturday
1: at, at whatever Baptist Church, no limits. No
2: limits. <laughs> <laughs> the guys with the tank tops come out and they're totally. like flipping tires. And yeah, wow, you've just nailed something. Okay, well, here's what um, they're saying over at the Gospel Coalition about limits. Limits came before the fall. Interesting. Adam was created with limitations that are innate to humans. He could only jump so far, eat so much, be so tall, do so much. Though he was made in God's image, he was not God. Hmm. So this is interesting because sometimes I wonder if we think limits are a result of the fall. Like whether or not we might say that. We might think, why does my, why do I need limits? This is, I should be limitless. But this author is positing, like, limits are woven into us on purpose by God. Mm. So in one sense, that should help us embrace limits as a gift from God and not like a like a consequence or something. It's kind of interesting. A yeah. shift
1: here. And it reminds us that we're not God. Yeah, right. we need right. that reminder in right. our lives.
2: Um, the second thing she says is this. The perfect human, Jesus, had limits. When Jesus condescended in the incarnation, she says... He chose to live with the physical capacity of a human in first century Palestine. In fact, when he had opportunities to push human limits, he often chose to do otherwise. Hmm. Jesus slept, rested, ate, drank. I know there's a lot of people really interested in like, what did Jesus do, you know, on the Sabbath? What did Jesus do when he went to the quiet place by himself? What What did Jesus do? He traveled and taught only three of the 33 years he lived on earth. So I think that is helpful for us to go, oh, wait, even God incarnate had limits. I've
1: had the weirdest thought in the past. Like, that is weird to think about Jesus in his day-to-day activities. Totally. Have you ever thought? And that's where the chosen, I think, people uh-huh. were so drawn to Yeah. is for that reason. But have you ever thought about, like, when Jesus laid down to go to sleep Right. And you know when you have that moment where you're before you're asleep, you're okay. just kind of thinking about uh-huh. life or about the day yeah. before you nod off or yeah. right when you wake up, what did Jesus think about? Oh,
2: great question. Like, Try those it. are the
1: ones that are like...
2: have you? Do you have any ideas? No, not at all. That's
1: yeah. what makes it fascinating. Yeah. When he was, you know, we think about Jesus being hungry. Was he like... Did hey, he get you know, hangry? <laughs> well, I doubt that, but maybe... <laughs> But like, what did he like to eat or what did he, he still had preferences. Absolutely. And he still, uh, I think one thing, again, the chosen people have enjoyed is that he makes jokes in yeah. it, right? Jesus has a personality. Yeah. It's also weird to think about.
2: It is. It's weird to think about Jesus. I think that's it. Jesus with a personality, like Jesus being a full blown human, because we, we want, I think it, it's. It feels two D sometimes on the page rather than three D, and it is hard to wrap our minds around. Like, what was his personality like? Yeah. Like, was he cracking jokes? Was he a life of the party? Was he embarrassing? Was he, you know, like <laughs> sometimes I read stories about Jesus, and I'm like, oh, I, that'd be embarrassing. That's like funny. Jesus, oh, you need to like Jesus joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you tell dad? I mean, it's just just kind of interesting things to think about. But yeah, Jesus going to bed at night. Jesus embracing his limits. Um, the third thing is. This about limits. God uses limits to remind us who we are and who he is. That's something you said at the beginning, Brian. I think our our Mm limitedness reminds us of God's limitlessness. I feel this most often when I stop and ponder, like, the galaxies or the solar system. You know, some of those new photos have come out in the last month or so. Yeah. Where you're kind of like, oh, we're a... We're a giant ball yes. floating in space. Space is infinite. Oh, man, God is big. That's right. You know? that's right. Oh, man, I'm limited. You know, there's there's something about that that I do think kind of puts into perspective how short our time is, how limited we are, and how expansive God is. It's it's hard to really comprehend, to be honest.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. and And that's why it's helpful because... We've often said on this show, we need a big view of God and a small view of ourselves. Mm. Like, they're proportional. Yeah. And understanding his limitlessness and our limitedness is a great way to have that right perspective. Yeah,
2: that's so good. Okay, here's the last thing that she says over at the Gospel Coalition. God uses limits to direct us. Instead of pushing against our limits with disdain, we can consider them guides to help us make decisions about life in the kingdom of God. We can understand our God-given limits as a protective fence that provides a boundary for rest, safety, and thriving. The fence is not something to be trampled and overcome, but embraced and considered. So if we're kind of like wrapping this up in a little boat, what's the good news about limits, Brian?
1: I think the good news is that we can embrace our limitedness and allow it to point us, as we just said, to the limitless God. He loves us so much that he sent his son uh, in yeah, I, I think it it reminds us of God's majesty and his goodness in Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah, that's, that's so good. Here's how Christine Gordon wraps things up. She says, we don't have to strategize and strive every waking moment. We can relax, trusting that God is always at work. I think that's a good kind of final word about limits for all of us. All right, Brian, coming up next, a pastor that you and I have talked about on the show before. He made an announcement that was a little bit surprising to me and has experienced some consequences about it. I want to talk about it, not because I want to judge him or tear him down, but I'm just starting to wonder if we're going to see more and more of this and and what we think about it as pastors ourselves. So we'll talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. So glad that you are with us today. Get your... uh, Get your shot glasses of grape juice ready, (laughs) Brian and I are both pastors. Yep, there it is. And uh, we want to talk about a theme, or at least I want to talk about a theme I'm seeing, not all the time, Mm -hmm. but every once in a while, more and more and more, the theme of pastors um, making some statements about their beliefs and and their resulting consequences. Um, And I don't really know why I want to talk about Brian, except I'm curious if we're going to see more and more of this. Okay. There's a guy named uh, Douglas Bursch that um, I follow on Twitter. I thought we had had him on the show before. He has a book Maybe. called Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Um, he lives in the Seattle area, has been a pastor for a while. Um, lots and lots of followers on social media, so lots and lots of influence there. Um, but he said this recently, Brian, and this actually... I I was surprised to hear this. He said, Recently I made it clear I support and affirm loving same-sex marriage and relationships. As a result, my license and ordination are being revoked, and today we shut down our church after 24 years. God is good, and we are thankful for your prayers and support as we enter this new season. Then he shared a theological paper, which I didn't read, but it's why he affirms and supports same-sex marriage. And then got a ton of responses from people. Um, mostly support. Like, wow, how brave you are. I, You know, wow, I have a, a gay child. Wow, you know, wow, 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 wow. Uh, and people saying that they love him. Other people saying, look, I'm glad that those who oversee you are holding you accountable for false teachings, praying for repentance for you, etc., etc., etc. So this blew up on on twitter as you can imagine um it doesn't surprise me i don't know where he was at a church
1: he was in a four square church oh
2: he was in a a four four square square church church, which is a pentecostal denomination but would not affirm same-sex marriage so it doesn't surprise me that this is the response ordination revoked um being removed i think the part that saddens me is that the church was closed down after 24 years and he's saying god is good
1: so uh, I I don't know much about their church. Obviously, yeah. I can't imagine that this is the only reason the church closed down.
2: Okay, but okay. I could be wrong.
1: Don't get I could be one hundred percent wrong about that. Here I might have a um. Uh, Here is my take on this one. You ready? Yep. I think when you are in a denomination, you know what a denomination stands for. Yeah. So I think the admirable thing for him to do would have been to resign from the denomination Mm. before ever announcing what he believed. Wow. Yeah. He could have said very simply like this feels to me like a self promotion.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because he could have very easily said, listen, I've come to in my own theological understanding on what we would uh, say is a really important issue, but probably a non-essential. Yep. I just don't agree, but I have enough respect for the denomination to go. I'm not going to push this to try to change the denomination. Yeah. I instead am going to remove myself. Yeah, I don't know what it looks like to remove a church yeah. from the denomination. I don't know, but he wrote. This is what, what, what makes me think about this, right? Like he wrote a paper mm-hmm. to kind of lay out his thought pro- processes and this church is 24 years old. They had to have known what what the ramifications of this were going to be, mm-hmm. and that's I think what uh, bothers me because it yeah. feels like yeah. it feels like searching this out. So of course people are supporting them because the people are. who yeah. are mad about this are the ones who are going to reach out. But a lot right. of people are going. Listen. If you're a Baptist, you know what the Baptist church stands totally. for. If you're in the totally. RCA church, if you're a Catholic, yeah. if you're in Foursquare, yeah. you know what those stand for. Yeah. And so it always bothers me. There was another story about the Baptist church the other day where somebody's, church, it, I I forget what it was, but it was, I was reading it uh, the other day where this similar thing happened. And I want to be like. You know what the Baptist church is, right? It's right. Uh, it shouldn't a, be shocking it's to you. Also, how I feel about the colleges where the students yeah. are at these really conservative colleges. Yeah. And, then, uh, you know, there was that Seattle Pacific story where you're like, yep, you know what you signed up for. It right. doesn't mean people shouldn't challenge and ask for thoughts and have a debate or yeah. whatever, but yeah. this like, oh, I can't believe you'd believe X, right? They're not the ones who changed. I had that talk one time with somebody who left our church and there was this kind of increasing divide between what this person believed and what our church Mm -hmm. believed on, uh, on some very important topics. Yeah. And I've said to this person and, you know, we're very cordial. And I said, what you need to understand is that we didn't move. You moved. And that's okay. Right. Right. But this kind of grandstanding, that's like you, I'm smarter than you denomination. You need to change. Mm -hmm. It's uh, here. I'll sum it up this way. Feels so arrogant to me.
2: Yeah, I actually agree with you. Like, it, I think this could have been a totally different scenario. I'm not saying I would have agreed with this guy, but a totally different scenario to say, "Hey, um, I'm leaving my denomination yeah. because I no longer am in alignment with them around same-sex marriage and relationships." Mm-hmm. I think that would have been the high road for this guy. But the way that it's worded recently, I made it clear, I support, as a result, my ordination is being revoked, and today we shut down our church, he's making himself look like a victim and a martyr here. Correct, that's totally it. And what you're saying is exactly right, like, he knows Foursquare is not going to align with this. Yes. And so... Almost like, yeah, be the honorable person. If if you're not there anymore biblically, then it's up to you to say, "I'm not there anymore." Rather than like make this public announcement and then make yourself a martyr. But I think the bigger question that I'm asking Brian is: is this this issue to me feels like it is about to be the major issue around church splits, new denominations, pastors leaving, starting new churches. Like yep. I feel like we are going to see all new denominations within denominations around sexuality and gender. I agree.
1: I think, I think churches and denominations in the future are going to be as much defined by uh, sexuality issues, cultural issues, political issues than they will be by theological issues. And that's, that's problematic. Yeah. Like we want a church where ideally we can disagree about non-essential issues. Yeah and debate them out and feel strong. And remember what I've, we've said this before, non-essential doesn't mean not important. Right. Right. Um, but man, like I do think that there's coming a day where you're going to sit in a church's membership class and it's going to be like, this is our theology. This is our politics. This is our view on sexuality. This yeah. is our view. And yeah. maybe that's good before somebody gets in, but maybe it feels so. like we're getting really tribal.
2: Yeah. It, it's starting to feel that way. And I'm, um, it It'll just be it'll just be interesting to see, especially for those of us who are in church leadership, like how this over the next few years begins to begins to play out and how i'm just i'm always i'm always a little surprised i am not sure why maybe it shows my naivete but little surprised when pastors, especially in like a four square denomination, can come to this conclusion biblically yeah. and I'm not surprised at the fallout, but anyway, anyway, interesting, interesting to see how this continues to unfold as time goes on. All right, coming up next, Brian, this wasn't an entirely bad week. (laughs) We've got some really good news to share with you when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Comic Good. It's Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. It is the end of today's show on Thursday evening. And at the end of every show, we love to do things to just put a smile on your face or get you thinking. And one of the places we like to go for very good news, because we cover hard news on this show sometimes, sad things on this show sometimes. So we like to put a smile on your face, do a little palate cleanser. And we've been going to a place called The Week that aggregates good news stories from each and every week. And um, I love the stories they share. I'm going to start with the first one, Brian. Are you ready for it?
1: I am. Can I say one thing before we start? Would you? Like, people can, you've joked earlier in the show and people can probably hear it, that you're uh, you were saying your allergies are going crazy. Oh, they're going crazy. But something just hit me we have had some COVID issues in the house. I
2: have. I did test. You and I, I are tested sitting for COVID. very no, no, no. closely
1: to each other no, no, right no. now. I tested for COVID each other before right
2: now. I came to the studio because I was okay. like, I don't want to get Brian sick. This is pure fall allergy. It is. It's I awful. can tell. Yeah. You could just tell that it's it's. It's all up in my nose. Until I test
1: positive and then I'm coming for you. (laughs)
0: Until until
2: tomorrow I'm like, uh oh, Brian, I have a fever. We have had COVID in our house, though that's accurate.
1: uh, One of my kids' schools having a little outbreak these days too. Uh So it's always post-homecoming, you know?
2: Right. Everyone's gathered and then it happens. All right, here we go. Here's some good news. With casts as his canvas, hospital tech creates works of art for young patients. It all started with a happy face. A decade ago, Luis Ruiz, an orthopedic technician at a children's hospital in Los Angeles, was asked by a patient if he could draw one on his cast. Ruiz told the boy he wasn't great at drawing, but after he was finished, the child's face lit up. That inspired Ruiz to start offering all the kids he met personalized drawing on their cast. I was not very good, but as time went by, little by little, I got better and better to a point where now I can almost draw anything they ask for, he said. His repertoire includes Spider-Man, Hello Kitty, Mm. Tinkerbell, and the Wonder Woman emblem. Ruiz estimates he's painted thousands of casts in the last 10 years, and he loves to make patients smile and forget they're in the hospital. The kids just bring me joy,
1: he told People magazine. I know, love that. Second one, Dog Rescue connects senior citizens with senior pups. Cute. Johanna Carrington loves dogs and had several as pets throughout her life. And at 100 years old, Come on. the California resident wasn't ready to have an empty nest. Animals, animals bring me so much happiness in our home, she told the Today Show. It's unbelievable. Carrington was worried that because of her age, no shelter would let her adopt. But her neighbor is a volunteer with Muttville Senior Dog Rescue Come on. and connected her with the perfect pet Gucci, an 11-year-old Chihuahua mix. <laughs> Carrington and Gucci were paired together through the rescue seniors for seniors program with Carrington's caregiver, Eddie Martinez, agreeing to take Gucci for daily walks. On his first day at Carrington's house, Gucci came in like he'd been there before. Carrington said it was remarkable. He saw me sitting on my chair, jumped up on me and sat on my lap. He made himself very, very comfortable. He was just our baby right away. The Seniors for Seniors program also allows anyone who adopts and later cannot care for their dog due to hospitalization to bring them back, giving everyone involved peace of mind. Love we want that. them to still have that time together and experience the full joy of their senior years together. That's awesome.
2: That's so cute.
1: Before you read the next one, yes. have you seen the viral clip going around? If not, you need to go search it out today. What is it? I haven't. You of all people will weep.
2: Oh no! This. What is Facebook, it? Facebook,
1: Twitter. I forget. I'm going to try to find it. It was uh, a. So if you believe it, which I do, but if you believe it, a young guy went up to an old man in a walker and said, can I take you to Disneyland today? And the guy was like, what? And he was very old. And the whole, like this fast paced video, you've got to see this, is the guy and the guy had the time of his life. Shut He's up. crying he really at the end. Took him to Disneyland. Took him to Disney, and they were like really good friends by the end. And then you no. took a, pushing him around in a, a wheelchair. Strangers
2: like before that.
1: Total stranger. Went up to an old guy in a walker and said, "Can I take you to Disneyland?" It really
2: backfire when he kidnaps the old guy and murders him. In a so van.
1: you and I are both really cynical. <laughs> My cynical one was that was just a complete move to get to the front of lines and on, on the ride. <laughs>
2: That's all that was. You are right about that. But, you nailed that.
1: But you've got to find it because okay. the way it's presented, you, oh, of all people, I know especially you, because I love all Disney people too. and Disney, you're going to cry. Done and done. All yes. right.
2: I'll, I'll watch that. I'll watch that when we're done with the show today. All right. Here's another story. Teen transform chip bags into blankets. Let's mm. see how this works. By taking discarded chip bags and turning them into blankets, a 12-year-old girl in Wales is helping both people in need and the environment. Alyssa started her project in August 2021 and in the last year has collected almost 10,000 chip bags to make 200 blankets. She works on them after school and said it takes about an hour to finish a blanket. Each blanket has to be opened out so it's flat and then washed in the sink, Alyssa told BBC News. Then you take four of them, put them under a piece of baking paper and iron them so that the heat fuses them together. Finally, you sandwich the packets between two thin sheets of clear plastic. Wow. This is wow, this is complicated. And you use the iron again to seal that in place. Chip bags aren't easy to recycle, Alyssa said, and she's happy to have found another use for the packaging while helping others. Alyssa and her mother give the blankets, along with gloves, socks, toothpaste, and other essentials, to local organizations in Wales that help distribute the items to those who are homeless. You wouldn't think you could turn a crisp packet into something so helpful, Alyssa told BBC News, but people like the blankets because they're lightweight and waterproof. Are they soft and warm, though?
1: No chance.
2: Yeah, I mean, it kind Hopefully of sounds smell, like a terrible blanket. Hope they smell like...
1: Uh, With potato like chips. chips? Hey, I have a joke for you. Okay, let's hear it. Did you hear the archaeologist finally found where uh, the prophet Jonah lived? No, I didn't. In Wales. <laughs> Come on, that was good. I just thought of that. That was
2: pretty good. I like it. Oh, you made that up. Yeah,
1: I just did. Watch the reading your story. My my kids are cringing somewhere. They're just dying. Wow. Dozens of dogs hang 10 during Surfathon fundraiser. Stop it. Cowabunga canines. On Sunday, 70 pups and their owners competed in the Surf Dog Surfathon in Del Mar, California, an annual fundraiser. The dogs compete in different groups from extra small to extra large and are judged on how well they stay on the surfboards and if they have a cool costume or can do any tricks. Now, in its 17th year, the Surfathon attracts hundreds of people who get a kick out of watching dogs like Gus the Labrador ride the waves. Gus loves to surf, his owner said. He trained himself, and as time went on, I got bigger boards so that he could hold onto the board better. Connie Horn uh, drove her Cocker Spaniels all the way from Northern California so they could compete. The Horn family raised almost $4,000 for the Animal Center. It's a lot of commitment to help the dogs surf and compete, and everyone helps each other.
2: That's fun. I love that. I love thinking about dog surfing, too. Nothing better than a dog on a surfboard. All right. Last story. Do you have any other jokes for me? No, before I'm we out. Oh, I'm out. Okay, I, I
1: that like one. that one. I felt good about that yeah, one.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed you wrote it yourself. You should be a professional comedian. All right. Austrian man surprises beekeeping neighbor with some of his land. The bees are buzzing in Austria thanks to resident Franz Nigl. his neighbor. <laughs> Franz who?
0: <laughs> Say that uh, name nope, again.
2: not going through. His N-I-G-L. Na-
1: N-I-G-L. Give me it again.
2: Nigl. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they say it in with really Nigel, are you ready for his his uh, neighbor's name? Yes. His neighbor Josef Kren nice. is a hobby beekeeper, and Nigel decided he wanted to do something to help both Kren and the instinct insects. He turned one fifth of his land into a meadow for Kren, with more than forty different blooming plant species, making it the perfect environment for bees. I've never experienced anything like that before, Kren said. We benefit from each other. Franz grows the flowers, and in return, he gets good honey from me. Niggle said next year, he intends to make even more of his land be friendly. I know that you can't do much yourself on a large scale anyway, he told the Tips News outlet, but on a small scale, you can do a lot, even on your doorstep. All right, that is the good news for us. My land is going
1: to be friendly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're on fire, Brian Fromm. (laughs) All right. Well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. Hopefully, you've got a smile on your face right now. Uh, For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
0: Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's.